right, which one of those is your favorite groove? You got one? Anyone that you relate to? Come on, I know you're all listening to that stuff every day. Hey, good stuff. We're in our series soundtrack that we began last week, and we're talking about changing our tune. For 2024, what's the new soundtrack that you can have running through your mind? What's the, the thoughts, the, the things that inspire you, that move you to take a new direction? More than just having a new routine or some resolution, but God really changing that soundtrack that runs through our mind. Last week, I shared with you that one of the, the first soundtracks that I really loved was Rocky IV soundtrack and, uh, and listening to that music when I was 13 and putting the music in and feeling like you, know, you could conquer the world. Uh, and I said, like, what would it be like if, if, we, if we would have an actual soundtrack playing, you know, every day, wherever we go? What would that feel like if you had music that accompanied you in a way with what you were doing? And then I came across this video on my social feeds, and I thought it was really fitting, so I'll just share it briefly here with you. Here, take a look. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, just so it really actually can happen in real life. We can, move, we can move on from that. They have a couple other examples. But you see the guys just running, and sometimes it's a dread, right, like running, exercising, doing that. But all of a sudden, right, the trumpets come, and they're playing that, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I got this, right? When we have the right soundtrack running through our head and through our minds, it can move us, and music can do that. Uh, when, uh, how many of you have like Spotify accounts? Just curious of like Spotify, you listen to, or you listen to music or you stream online. I, I, I'm more of a Pandora guy, but my, my girls and others, they, they have Spotify. And Spotify, I mean, worldwide, what do we it has 574 million listeners. And in Spotify, you create your own playlist. And so, again, how many of you guys have some playlist on some kind of device that you listen to? Let me see. We got playlists. And you might have playlists for certain moods that you're in, right? Like, this is my workout playlist, or this is my fall asleep playlist, or this is my drive to work, or this is when I'm feeling really, you know, down, whatever. We have different playlists. And so what Spotify does at the end of every year, it gives Spotify wrapped is what it does. And it gives you the statistics for the year of how much you um, listened to, who your favorite artist was, what percentage you were in. And so you can hear and see what is it that you've been listening to and hearing. And there are over 4 billion playlists on Spotify. And so there's a lot of music going on. And, and no surprise, uh, Taylor Swift had 26 plus billion listens. So... Whether we like it or not, she's become part of a soundtrack for this past year for a lot of folks. And, and you know, we, we um, hear these songs, and, and they move us, and they shape us, and, and they impact us in different ways. But we're not here to talk about musical soundtracks, although those have a place. And I think when we worship, and I encourage you, like when you have worship music on or some of these lines that we have in these songs, maybe sometime this next week you need to just come back to that phrase and say, you know what, I am a child of God. Right? Maybe there's a moment where you just need that soundtrack, that lyric running through your head to remind you of who you are. And so I asked you last week, though, I asked you to kind of do your own um, Spotify-wrapped version of your soundtracks. I gave you a homework assignment. And that homework assignment was to write down what soundtracks do you have running through your head. What's going on in your mind? I would ask you to raise your hand if you did your homework, but I don't want just a few people to like, get stars and the rest of you kind of going, oh, I didn't do my homework. If you're not writing it down, I do encourage you to do that, but I do encourage you to dial in, to become more aware as we're going through this series, what is going on between my ears, in my head? What is it that I'm telling myself? The soundtracks are the, the loops and the lyrics, the phrases that, that continue to circle around in our head, and they result in an action that we take. 
And what are you saying to yourself when you get up in the morning? What are you saying to yourself when you have a difficult task in front of you? What are you saying to yourself when you have to make a big purchase or when you're being called to be generous, to give? What do you do when you have a difficult meeting that's, that, that you're facing? What do you say to yourself when you've been putting off something you've wanted to do? And those are those internal conversations, those dialogues that we have that, that really impact our action. They can either move us forward or they can hold us back. And as we're talking in this series, we want a new tune. Psalm 40, verse 3, the Bible says, He has given you a new song to sing. And quite literally, maybe you have a new tune that you're singing that you're feeling like, in 2024, I've got a new song. I've got to set my sights on something else. I've got to hear something different. And then we talked about in Romans 12, too, the Bible says we need to be transformed. Transformed. And how are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. By changing the way we think. It begins up here. It begins in our head. It begins in our heart. It begins within us that when we begin to have a different perspective, when we think differently, that's how God transforms us. The Bible says, let God transform you. This isn't just, you know, do it all on your own. It's how does God's spirit in you begin to put you in the right mindset, in the right framework that you go, okay, God, I'm building my life on your truth. Remember, we asked three things about our soundtracks. If you want to know if it's, if it's a good soundtrack or not, is it true? It's the first one. Is it true? And is it always true? Does it always need to be true? Sometimes we get trapped up on that one because, yeah, it was rooted in something in the past. We think it's true, and we think it's true for always. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today, that that's not the case. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it helpful? Does it help you to keep reminding yourself or telling you those things? And then ultimately, is it kind? Are you just being kind to yourself? Or do we beat ourselves up? And I guess some of our soundtracks, I know some of those soundtracks are not helpful to us. And so what we're going to do over these next few weeks, after having kind of framed in our series um, last week, is we want to look at some areas of soundtracks in our lives that we need to replace. And today I want to start with track two, that's I'm not good enough. Now that's just a simple statement that goes into a lot of different areas. I'm not good enough. Now, some of us might say that just in that way. We tell ourselves that, but sometimes it's a little more subtle. But I'm not good enough is often rooted, and I want to focus today on some of our past mistakes and failures, things that are causing us to feel like I'm not good enough. And when we face new situations, when we want to move forward, that soundtrack, I'm not good enough, or I'm never good enough, or I can't ever seem to get it right, or because of my past, those things hold us back. And I would venture to say that if we're human, there may be some area of your life or something in your past, or maybe not even your distant past, maybe it was last night, shame or regret, failure, things that you've experienced that, that, that are weighing you down. And these are these negative soundtracks that when we want to move forward, they continue to pull us back. And they can happen in a lot of different ways, and, and most of our soundtracks are rooted in our past. There's some experience, something that was said to us, something that we, that, yeah, that we experienced in our life. And now we claim it as true, and somehow we, we continue to repeat that, and it creates a negative pattern in our lives. And we want God to transform us from that. I think back to even early a soundtrack when I was, when I was younger, middle school, going into high school. I was a late bloomer, so I was, I was very short and I was really skinny. And, and that began to like play in my head because like, in sports, I was like pushed around. Or in soccer, I was the sub that was coming off the bench and I got my few minutes and then the coach would put me back on the sidelines and I knew what that meant. The other guys were better, they were stronger, they were faster. And 
started feeling that. But then, like, I had a, and I remember even going, you know, for the annual physical that you have to do for school, and, and you know, my, my dad, and going like, well, um, doctor, is there anything wrong with my son? <laughs> you know, going like, is he going to grow at some point? Is that, and, and, and he's like, yeah, no worries, he's just a late bloomer, it's going to happen. And eventually, right, you know, I grew and worked out and, you know, all that stuff. And, but I still had the mentality and still the mindset that I was, that I was small or that I was not capable or that I couldn't compete. And it, it, it was up here. It was no longer physically present, but it was still in our mind. And it's amazing how the mind can hold you back in different situations. An example in, in my life that I've shared often and will continue to because it was so formative and painful in our lives was when I lost uh, my job, when I lost my ministry prior to Meadow Park at another church. And in that time and in that moment and uh, when, when that all came uh, crashing in, the emotions, the thoughts, the, the questions, you know, what, what happened? There was anger, there was hurt, there's other things. I'm gonna, we'll talk about some of that when you, you know, feel unforgiveness towards others. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But there was also those internal soundtracks that were like, man, how did I screw this up? What did I do wrong? How did it come to this point? I'm a failure, I'm damaged goods. I literally had that line running through my head. I'm damaged goods. When you think about your career, wherever you're in, or maybe some, you know, something that you've done, and you go, going forward, how are people going to perceive me? What is it that I'm hearing? What do I think other people are saying about me? Do they look at me and go, oh, you're, he's damaged goods. He's done. He's done for. Can't, you know, can't use him anymore. And all this stuff that's going on through my head, voices that I hear, things that were said to me from, from others at the time. You know, it's, it's hard to sit in a, in, a, in a meeting and have someone say, we've lost confidence in you. I was never as floored and crushed in my life as hearing that. And I'd never heard it as kind of that, um, which is official, like, you know, business speak of, you know, when, when somebody's lost the vote of confidence, you move on. I just really literally heard it and felt it as, we don't have confidence in you. I don't think it was necessarily intended that specifically, but maybe it was. And I just thought that was the end. How can you not, how can you not have confidence in me? And, and, and I can share that phrase with you here today because that's still a soundtrack I can easily access. I know exactly where to go, where to find it, and go play. And it comes up very easily. Is it true? Is it helpful? <laughs> is it kind? Is that helpful for me moving forward, right? Those are not helpful soundtracks, and I had to work so hard in that year. I remember even after that, you know, after all that transpired, even weeks and months afterward, we'd be driving somewhere at night, and, you know, and, and I would just be, like, shaking my head and, and replaying things in my mind and replaying soundtracks over and over, things that I would have to work through. And when I worked through those, it was like it began to make some real forward progress. Then a few years later, you know, I'm so grateful uh, here from, from Meadow Park, and as we found our partnership here in, in ministry, and even I remember my first, uh, one of my first few calls was with some folks from the, from the team, a couple of men, we had a phone call and shared some of my story of my, that experience, and I remember hearing a couple of them say, you know, we've gone through something similar. <laughs> well, you know, a couple of them said, we lost our job before too, and it was like instantly there was like some healing that was taking place, like no, 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 we don't see you as damaged goods. God works through those things, and, and we have to change those narratives. We have to change those soundtracks. But it's amazing how quickly those things, we can access them again and play them back. Because a couple years later, if you've been at Meadow Park here since my tenure, the first few years, there were some significant challenges that we faced here in the church. And it was amazing how quickly some of those soundtracks popped right back in. Not good enough. You're a failure. You don't know how to lead. 
things of that nature, and, and you have to battle those. And you can either choose to live in that place and accept that place and, and, and stay there, or you allow God to transform those soundtracks to have a different message, a different narrative. You let God renew your mind and really hold on to what is true, what is kind, what is helpful, and let God speak new life into you. As a pastor for 25 years, I have talked to many people, many coming to my office, many meeting for coffee, and beginning to share things of their life, difficulties, pain about their past, about failures, about mistakes and how much those weigh those down. So many relational challenges. So much relational heartache and pain between husband and wife or infidelity that took place. Wounded relationships between parents and kids, between siblings. Regret over decisions made in college or early in life. Addictions, alcohol, drugs, pornography. Things that were done that there's regret, like abortion and just the weight and the heaviness. Years later, illegal activity, things that were done and that just continue to weigh and continue to hold people captive. And just this longing for, how do I change that narrative? How do I not let that past continue to hold me back? Because when we do that, that, that soundtrack, it's just like this deep darkness. It's a heavy weight it's an unwelcoming whispering that, that we hear, that this companion that says, you know, don't let anyone know. Don't let anyone know. If they find out, they'll think less of you. Don't let anyone know. It will ruin your reputation. Who do you think you are? Ever said that to yourself? In times when you're down, in times when you're weak, when things aren't going well? I picture these soundtracks as an anchor. If you look at an anchor and you, you see this and, and you go, you know, usually an anchor, you can use the metaphor in a lot of different ways. Anchors are good things. Anchors can anchor you to the truth. They're stable. They're there. But when they anchor you to the past, when there are soundtracks that anchor you, that hold you like a ship that can't, it moves around and it's in motion, and, but it can't ever seem to break free. It can't ever seem to move forward. That's what these broken soundtracks from our past do. They anchor us there. They hold us there. And you have a great future ahead of you. You've got things that you want to do and accomplish and be, but these soundtracks will hold us back. Maybe some of these you can relate to, the self-blaming. It's all my fault. I should have known better. I should have done things different. Stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> Perfectionism. There's a reason that is funny, because that's what we do. I can never do anything right. I'm a failure. And I'll never live up to anyone's expectations. We, get, we make a catastrophe out of it, right? This, this mistake defines me. I've ruined everything. My life will never be the same. You've got so much life ahead of you. I don't care how old you are. You've got life ahead of you. It doesn't have to be the final piece. We label ourselves. I'm a terrible person for what I did. We feel like I'm inherently doing something wrong. Something is wrong with me. Or we overgeneralize. Because I messed up this time, I'll mess up everything. I'm always a disappointment. We generalize it. We compare to others. Everyone else is so much better me, than me. I'm the only one who makes these kinds of mistakes. And then we think, what we forget and, and don't realize is that we think we're the center of other people's thoughts. People don't think about us nearly as much as we think about ourselves. But we think everybody is reading our mind or wondering what we're going through, and they're thinking about us. We, we, you know, people must think I'm a complete failure. They're probably judging me. can never look at me the same. 
or we discount the positive. Even though I've done some good things, they don't matter. This one mistake overshadows everything in my life. And I'm not minimizing anything that we've done, the trauma we've gone through, the mistakes we've made, the regrets we have. There are serious consequences and impacts and effects of that on our life. But what is it that we keep telling ourselves? And that we anchor ourselves to that and we can't move forward. But then beyond just that soundtrack, what begins to happen is what the problem is that we begin to identify with our failure. It's not just something that happened, not just a mistake that was made, not just a sin, not just something that we regret, but all of a sudden, I am the failure. I'm a failure. Not, I failed. <laughs> I did something wrong. I, I, you know, I, I'm trying to learn from that, but it is now me. We identify it. It defines us. I'm unworthy to be loved. I can't be trusted. And we start putting labels. We start saying, you know, I am an alcoholic. I am a drug user. I am a bad father. I am a bad wife. I am a bad husband. Fill in, the, fill in the blanks. And all of a sudden, this is now who we are. And it's being reinforced over and over by these soundtracks. And the result, what happens is we become a smaller version of ourselves. And we think, this is my limitation. This is now who I am, and I guess this is all I have to offer. There's not much. And we need to learn how to break free from these soundtracks that we hear over and over because they're not true. They may be rooted in something that happened. There may be some ounce of truth in it, but it doesn't always have to be true. And then we look for things that reinforce that, that lie over and over again. The counselor, Dr. Charity Byers, she's the lead psychologist at Blessings Ranch. It's a place that um, we got to spend uh, several days with her as, as, as a counselor. She says this, Our hearts often resist what we know to be true, so things even that we know to be true because they are loyal to the imperfect lessons they've learned through life about who we are and how God feels about us. So what she's saying there is we know some things to be true. And if you've been in the church, if you've been a follower of Jesus, or if you know the Bible, or there's things that you even in, internally know about your capacities and your abilities and who God made you to be, we know these truths. But yet we learn these imperfect lessons from our life and from our past, and what the world teaches, and we choose to believe those things. And we need to really begin to focus on the truth. What is true? And so today, I want to look at how do we change this broken soundtrack? How does God transform us, and how does he allow us to do that? So we're going to look at a story in Scripture that is one of the most, uh, one of the best documented stories of, of failure. Now, there are, here's, the, here's some great news. If you're looking for stories of failure, of sin, of regret, of shame, of mistakes, of letting God down. Isn't it ironic that it's in the Bible? <laughs> right? It's the very place that we have no shortage of, mis of reading about people who have failed and who God used again. What I like about the story I'm going to pick today is because it's a story we see what happened, we see the consequences, we see how things are, are, are tried, to tried to be handled in a human way. We see how God views it and sees it and interacts, but then we get to pull the curtain back and also hear from this individual about what they were dealing with internally, spiritually in this process. And the story we're going to look at is King David and Bathsheba, a story that's, that's well known to many in the church and outside the church, but what we see is we see these different layers. And King David had everything. He was at the pinnacle of success. It was a story that was amazingly, you know, uh, you know that, that we picked up from his life that just rolled out in beautiful ways from, you know, conquering Goliath, commander of the armies, conquering different armies and, and, you know, going through the ranks, God choosing him, 
to become the king of Israel, had everything. And it says, and as we read about this in, in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, you can read the, the whole story, but it, it's springtime, and it says this is the season where armies go to war. Apparently, they had a war season back then, and it's spring, so you know, we have football, and they have, or whatever they have, um, they had war. But it, so as his army was fighting and kings go to war with their armies, he stayed back. He stayed back in Jerusalem. He wasn't with his armies. And he noticed a beautiful woman. He noticed Bathsheba. And he brought her to be with him. And one thing led to another, and she became pregnant. This was a problem. Because Bathsheba, not only was she not his wife, she was also the, the wife of Uriah, who was one of his fighting men in his army. And here's the king. And so what do they do? They scheme. This was wrong. This was not right. We have to cover it up. And so, so um, David sends for Uriah from the front lines. Bring him home, and he's got a plan. He's got a plan that if he brings him home from the front lines for a little bit, surely he's going to go and want to be with his wife and do husband and wife things, and then it'll all be taken care of, and the cover-up will be complete. But Uriah, when he comes home, uh, David finds that he didn't go home. He spent the night outside the palace, sleeping outside. And when David saw that, he said, what are you doing? Why didn't you go home with your wife? He's like, how can I do such a thing when my commander and my army and my fellow military soldiers are on the front lines and fighting? Why should I be home? And so he was honorable in that way. And David tried again. He tried to even get him drunk to like go home and give, you know, spend a few more nights. He refused to go home. And so David had an, another idea, and so he wrote um, a, a command that he sent as the commander-in-chief, as the king, and he rolled it up, and he sealed it, and he ha handed it to Uriah to take back to the front lines. What Uriah didn't realize was that he was actually carrying his own death sentence, his own verdict, because when that scroll was handed to uh, the, the commander of the army, it said, put Uriah on the front lines where the fighting is the fiercest. David's plan was, we got to get rid of Uriah. And sure enough, that was the command. That's how it happened. The fighting was fierce, and Uriah died. Perfect cover-up. Word came back to David, and he, you know, was like, well, that's just the way it goes in war. The period of mourning took place, and when that period of mourning was over, he married Bathsheba, and all was good. Right? Perfect cover-up. Didn't have to deal with it. Nobody would know any the better. She ended up having a child. Except the Bible reminds us God knew. God saw what took place. Now, we don't know exactly in those moments what David and Bathsheba must have been thinking, but we know by his actions what David was trying to do. He wasn't, he wasn't proud of this. This wasn't something he wanted to share. He tried to do it secretively and to cover it up, and one bad thing led to another. And I can only imagine the guilt, the shame. As a man that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, how could he do such a thing? But the prophet Nathan then confronts him. God revealed this to the prophet, and he, he begins to share a story with him about a, a rich man who takes advantage of a poor man. And David was furious. Why would a man do that? And then the prophet Nathan said, you are that man. You are that man. He was confronted with it. And in that moment of confronted with his sin, confronted with his shame and his guilt, he could have responded in, in, in many different ways. He could have denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what the big deal is. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. Sometimes we rationalize those things in our past. We rationalize the things away that we do wrong, and, and we try to justify what we did, but not David. When David was confronted, he simply said, yes, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it in that moment, and God forgave him. 
Now, he didn't make his life easy and without problem. There were consequences that came from that. There were still hardships. There's things that we deal with from decisions in our past that, that have implications. But who we are and our position before God and how he sees us and the things that we're saying through our mind, we need to, we need to bring those to God. We need to experience God's healing. And so what I love now about this story is not only do we hear the story and we read about it in, um, in 2 Samuel, we get to now see the curtain pulled back and we get to hear from David. Because David was also a poet and a writer and we have so many of his, his poems and songs in the Psalms, in the Bible. And now he wasn't some kind of mushy, weak guy. Remember, this was a soldier, a warrior, the guy who cut uh, the head off of Goliath, right? He wasn't some kind of soft, weenie little guy. This was a guy who, who was mighty and was honored. But here, we pull the curtain back, and he writes Psalm 51, and we get to see what he's experiencing. And I just want to walk us through the psalm together. It begins with this, uh, for the choir director. So this was, again, meant to be sung, meant to be shared. A psalm of David regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we know this psalm correlates specifically, directly to that occasion. And here's how he begins, and we just see the, this honest picture, the weight that he was carrying. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. This idea of it haunts me. That to me is, you know, in context of this series, is like this idea of a soundtrack, isn't it? When something haunts you, it just doesn't leave you. It's something that continues to just hang around. It just continues to be something you continue to hear. And he says it's like a stain. He can't get rid of it. Like there's a stain. Like it, it, there's a reminder, right? When you get a stain on your clothes that you can't get out, it's just this constant reminder of the time I messed up. <laughs> When I spilled ketchup on my white shirt, right? It's just, you know, whatever, or worse, oil, right? It's there. And no matter what I do, I can't, I can't get rid of it. There's a stain there. It haunts me. And so we see that David did feel guilt. He felt regret. He felt shame. But then he moves and, and he says this, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. I just see David taking ownership. I think this is such a huge part about moving from our past, moving from those, the shame and regret, is to say, yes, I have sinned. I have done wrong what is in your sight. You desire honesty, God. It's not a bad thing to say, I am a sinner. It's not a bad thing to say, I screwed up. God, I did what wasn't right in your eyes. And so he owns up to that, and he says that. And then he moves, and he just has no other choice but to come to God. And he says, in verse 7, he says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. See, he can't get the stain out on his own. He can't go past that, but he understands who can. God, you can purify me. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then this verse, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. He's not just saying, I'm going to have a clean heart. I'm going to renew the spirit. He's saying, God, you need to help me with this. I can't remove that sin, but you can. You can remove that stain, create that clean heart in, in me. 
And then you see this cry for relationship, verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. When we have times of sin and shame and regret or failure, sometimes we feel distance from God. God, and we turn away, we hide. As old as Adam and Eve in their sin, they hid from God. There's distance, there's banishing, there's this. And he's saying, I don't, I don't want to lose that presence with you. In verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Joy gets lost very quickly when we're stuck in our sin, when we're stuck in our problems, when we're stuck in our shame. It's hard to be joyful. And he's saying, I want to go back to that place. I don't want my future to be defined by my past where I just go drudgingly into the future. God, restore that joy to me. I want to move forward. And we, we see that here in these next verses. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. He wants to get to a new place. He doesn't want to keep being held in this space. He's saying, I want to go to a new place where I can sing, where I can worship, where I can be free, where I can experience the joy and truly know that I am free and that I am forgiven. Lord, please. Verse 16, he says, You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. God, you don't just want me to keep like beating myself up or keep like I have to go to church every single Sunday to do this right. God, I promise to read my Bible every single day. I'm going to do everything right from now on. God, what do I need to do? I need to give even more. Like he's realizing I can't on my own do enough to, to erase this. The sacrifice, he says in verse 17, you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Such honesty to just come before God and not to be like making all the excuses, all the rationalizations, but I was young or I was tempted. I'm just a man and I couldn't help it and it's just what it is. No, he just owns it and he calls it what it is, but he realizes on his own he cannot remove the stain of that guilt. He asks for forgiveness and God forgives him. God forgives him. And when we think about what Jesus has done and we think about the cross and why do we focus on the blood of cross, the blood, you know, when we take communion and representing the blood that Jesus shed is because he took the blood, he took the stain on himself that I will pay that price so that you can be made clean, so that you can be made new, so that you don't have to keep living and being defined by that past. That's why we can't do it on our own. We need God to write a new soundtrack for us. Our old broken soundtrack, right? I'm not good enough. On all these areas, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, but God's new soundtrack for us, us is, I am worthy, I am loved, and I am free. You can live in a whole different way in life, right? If you go your whole life through life going, I'm not good enough, I keep dragging this anchor of my past, I can't break free, versus saying, I'm worthy, I'm loved, I'm free. There's a whole new future that can come from that. I think in our society, you know, we, in all of us, we tend to feel like guilt and shame is a bad thing. I mean, none of us want guilt and shame. But in our society, and I think in our culture, there's even the sense of you shouldn't feel guilt and shame. You do you. If that's what you felt like doing, you did it. It's okay. You are your own truth. And so what's there to feel guilty about? Don't worry about it. Move on or just get your head in the right place. It's not just about, you know, this thinking, just... Don't worry about guilt and shame. And, and in some ways, we're losing that in our culture. And while that's a good thing on one hand, we don't want people to feel guilt and shame. But there's a power in guilt and shame. There's a, there's a healing in guilt and shame when we realize what do we do with that guilt and shame. If we just bury it, if we just ignore it and say we shouldn't feel it, it doesn't go away. 
It will come back. But it's a way that can lead us to God. It's something that can bring us into his presence and begin to transform us. And so in that sense, it is a very healthy and good thing when we bring it towards God and saying, God, I bring this to you. And that's why we need to let God renew us, not just on our own. And we're not alone in this. Romans, we know one of the most well-known verses, Romans 3, uh, 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Is anyone here not included in everyone? We're included in this, every one of us. And so this is a reality of life that if we don't learn how to move through these things, how to find forgiveness, how to come to truth, we're going to be stuck in this place. Everyone has sinned, and we need to step into the light. We need to step into that place. The story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son, he's saying that he was, you know, he had wandered away, he'd gone astray, and he was thinking about going back to his dad. But, it, but when he went back to his father, one of the things he said was, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I have sinned. And you hear that, ver- that, that phrase, I'm not worthy. But yet he came to his father. And his father was faithful to forgive him. The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I think in our shame and our guilt, many times, right, again, that distance with God, we feel like I can't come to God. I can't come before him. I can't go to church. I can't be in those places. I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I've heard so many times people say to me, if I set foot in church, I mean, watch out, lightning's going to strike. Will it really? Because it should have struck many times, <laughs> right? God's kindness draws us. It doesn't repel us. God's kindness is there. It leads us to repentance. And 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Confession. Confession, stepping into that place. We need this forgiveness. It's not just, you know, what we hear in, in psychology today. It's not just have a new mindset. There's, good, there's truth in that. There's good things in that. There's things that lead us. But unless we really deal with some of these core things that, 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 we're, that we're dealing with spiritually, we're never going to find that true freedom. And so we come, and God says he's faithful to forgive us, and we move in that direction to be set free. And here's the, here's the thing. It's not just... I worked through it, it's still there, but I've moved past it. That's, that's a human way of doing it. That's a psychology uh, way of doing it. But get this, this is, what, this is how God is different. This is how, what we read in the scripture. When it comes to the things we're ashamed of or the pain or the sin that we have, Isaiah, I want to give you two verses here, Isaiah 43, 25. God says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for, for my own sake and will what? Never think of them again. I mean, if God never thinks of them again, it's not just that they're still there and we've worked through it. He's never thinking of them. It's, he's moved past it. The next verse, Psalm uh, 103, 12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's just removed it. It's gone. I mean, this is the beauty of what we experience as followers of Jesus, as those who surrender our lives to him, is to say, God, it's gone. We're like, we've asked for forgiveness, and later we come back to God and say, I'm sorry. He goes, about what? You know that thing? I I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I don't see it anymore. I've forgiven it. I'm past it. And I wonder, why do we still condemn ourselves? If God's forgotten it, if God's forgiven it, why do we condemn ourselves? That's what the old soundtracks do. They continue to beat ourselves up. By repeating those things over and over again. When, when the woman was caught in adultery and was being stoned before a crowd, Jesus said, let those without sin throw the first stone. And all of them dropped their stones and went away. Again, we've all sinned. 
He says, where are your accusers? He says, well, neither do I condemn you. He didn't condemn her. He offered forgiveness. The Bible says in, in Romans 8, 1, so there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So why do we continue to condemn ourselves? We need the truth of God's words to know we can move forward. And as Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, he said at that point, now go and sin no more. Now move into a future that's free from the past. I've forgiven you. I've moved as far as the east is from the west. I've blotted it out, never to remember it again. Now go and be free and live your life to what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be. I mean, the verse that we've been using here for the church for the past year or more for our Renew Initiative, right? When we look at Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. He's saying, don't keep getting anchored. Don't keep being tethered to the past. There's a new soundtrack, right? Cut the anchor. Cut the anchor and, and experience and, and go after what God has for you. Hit delete on that old soundtrack and move forward in a new direction. A true soundtrack, a kind one, a helpful one. A soundtrack that says, I am fully forgiven and free. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am a new creation, the Bible says. The old has gone, the new has come. God, those things in my past, you've forgiven me, let me leave them in the past and move on. I had a conversation with, uh, with a guy in one of our churches who was, a faithful, um, was faithful in the church, was serving and leading and follower of Jesus, and he wanted to meet with me, and so we got together and, and talked and he shared with me, they said, you know what, I am just still carrying so much guilt. He began to unwrap his story, and, and there were several different things, but one of the things he said, you know, when years ago when I was working in an office setting, he said, um, I used to sell drugs to people in the office, out of my desk. So that's what I used to do, and he goes, not just any old drugs, he said, I, I sold cocaine in, out of that place. And he said one of the, and, and, and one day, um, he said I was selling to, to one of my coworkers, who's a, a younger mom of two kids, and when she was high on the drugs that I gave her, she overdosed. And he goes, I can't forgive myself for that. He said, I know God has forgiven me. I know that, that the Bible says that Jesus died for my sins, but I can't forgive myself for that. And he's tethered forever tethered to that. Now, was that, that, was a, that was a horrible thing. It was an awful thing. It, it's, of course, he's going to feel bad, and we should feel bad if we have some of those regrets and those pains, but God allows us to say, I forgive you. With the sincerity and the purity of his heart before God, he is forgiven. Create in me a clean heart, O God. A broken and repentant heart of spirit, God will honor, and he will bring that forgiveness. What anchor is dragging you back? What soundtrack have you not been able to let go of that you need to replace, that you need to retire and replace with something new and say, I want those words to be, I am worthy, I am forgiven, and I am free. Just bow your heads with me for a moment. Just take a couple moments just to be honest before God. Just you and your spirit. Where are you allowing your past to sabotage your future? Where have you tried over and over again to get past something, but unless God blots out the stain, unless God forgives, 
you're not going to find freedom. And I also know that for some of you, you've experienced that in the past, but somehow you've allowed yourself to go right back there. And you know God has forgiven you. You know you are set free. You know you are not defined by that very thing or those things. But you're continuing to condemn yourself. Hear God's truth today. Hear what he says to you today. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. He forgave your sins that they're as far as the east is from the west. And you have the ability to move forward in the confidence of God's grace and God's love. This morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there is something in your life that you just want to bring before God today, maybe just acknowledge that by just raising your hand this morning, saying, God, I bring this to you this morning. I want this. God, I want to bury this. I want forgiveness from this. I want freedom from this. I want to move on. God, yes, all over, yes. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, it's such a beautiful message, such a beautiful story, God, that you are a God who has all power and justice and wisdom, but God, you also have all love and compassion. And Father, all you ask from us is honesty and sincerity to come before you. We can't clean it ourselves. We can't restore the past, but God, you redeem. You take what was broken and you restore, and you make something beautiful out of it. God, we don't have to carry it with us anymore. We can leave it in the past. Father, I pray that you would change that soundtrack. When that voice comes back that defines us by our past, God, that we are moving to a new future because you have set us free and you have forgiven. And God, we have so much to be thankful for that we can live in that freedom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.